0: So, if you haven't noticed in the news uh, this week, or on Facebook, or on various uh, different articles, this is the week. This is the week that if you were a kid, when you watched Back to the Future, and Marty went into the future. So, in the first movie, he went to the past, Okay, but in in the second movie, he went to the future. This was the week he came to it. It was October 21st, 2015. So, in 1985, a guy by the name of Robert Zemeckis, he created that movie, Back to the Future. And in that first movie, Doc Doc Brown and Marty McFly, they travel back in time to 1955 and uh, November 5th, all sorts of things happen. But at the very end of the movie, they get back to the present day in the 1980s, and um, right as the movie's about to end, Doc Brown shows up again from the future. He says, Marty, (laughs) because that's how he says it, we've uh, got to go back to the future, something's happened, you need to come with me to fix things in the future, and he sets up for a sequel of the movie. So four years later in 1989, the second movie, Back to the Future 2, comes out and uh, Zemeckis, the the writer of the movie, he sits down and he thinks, okay, so they're going to be 30 years in the future. What will life be like in the far distant future of 2015? It's going to be so far away. It'll be so different. And I, I watched the movie again last week to prepare for my sermon. I know I've got a real tough job. I, I watched the movie Back to the Future 2 to get ready for this message this morning. And um, I've got to be honest, I was a little disappointed. Because I watched the movie and all these great things I can remember as a, um, a younger man in the 80s watching thinking, man, it'd be so cool to have all that hardly any of them have come to pass now now we've got three days okay maybe between now and Wednesday they will come up with cars that fly but it's not looking good at this point okay flying cars haven't come around where are the hoverboards that's what I want to know and I know some of you are going to send me YouTube videos of a guy who strapped six leaf blowers to a skateboard and was able to do something okay but I'm talking about like proper hoverboards that you know fly across the, the the square in the middle of town Where are the hoverboards? Where are the self-tying sneakers? Where are the clothes that dry yourself if you fall into the pond at the square? Where's Pepsi Perfect? We were all expecting Pepsi Perfect. What about Jaws 19? Back then, he was predicting that by 2015, we'll be on the 19th episode of Jaws. It stopped. Now, they tried to kind of get things going again with Sharknado a couple of years ago, but it never really kind of got us to 19. Uh, It may do. We'll see. And what about that Cubs winning the World Series? Like, that's getting a lot, yeah, there's a few people excited about that one. That's getting a lot of talk, isn't it? The idea that Back to the Future predicted this year in the far distant future where maybe one day the Cubs will win the series. And despite last night's result, there is a chance that they could win the World Series. But even that, he got wrong, didn't he? Because you see, Marty arrived in October 21st and they'd already won the World Series. Little did he know that 30 years in the future, baseball wouldn't end in October anymore. It would actually continue on and on. And I think the World Series this year ends on Christmas Day. It's that long that they're dragging this sport out. But, but the World Series is, and, and baseball's being dragged on and on and on. But maybe, maybe that'll be right. And think of all the things that we do have that weren't in the movie. The internet, smartphones, iPads, social media, Segways. None of those could be predicted. So what this movie, when I was thinking about it, really shows us is how difficult it is to really imagine what the future will be like. We really have no idea, do we? In fact, in the Bible, there was a guy by the name of James. He was was actually the brother of Jesus. He wrote a letter in the New Testament, and it's a fantastic letter. It was to the church of the time, but I'd encourage you to read it if you've not read it before, because it's full of practical insight and, and great advice to followers of Jesus. And James talks about all sorts of things, but he talks about the future in there. Listen to what he says in, in James chapter 4, 13 through 15. He says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year, we'll do... Business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. So, what James is saying here to these early church people, what James is saying to us even today, here's what he's not saying. Okay, James isn't saying that. Listen, don't plan for the future. It's a waste of time. We're all going to die anyway because that can kind of be how it sounds when you read it. No, James isn't saying that. It's important to plan for our future. We, I'm sure there are some of you here this morning have college funds that you're, you're financing, maybe a retirement plan of some sort, maybe even some life goals that you've set for you and your family where you'd like to see yourselves 10, 20, maybe even 50 years from now. But before you know it, As you're working through those those different goals, suddenly what starts to creep in are those what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if the stock market crashes? What if I get sick? And before you know it, instead of planning for the future, you're fearing the future. Now, Jesus addresses this idea of our fear of the future in a really famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew writes about it, and in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 27, listen to what Jesus says about the future and our thoughts towards the future. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What Jesus is saying is, what's the point in worrying? What difference will it make? And we sat here this morning thinking, yeah, but Jesus, that's easy for you to say. Haven't you heard the news that Caterpillar just made? I've got things that I can worry about. But I think this is what James is trying to address in this statement about the future as well. He's talking about this idea of fear. He says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Now, he's not saying we should change our vocabulary and start adding that to every sentence. I don't expect us to to hear this and think, okay, from now on, I'm going to say, this Friday night, I'm going to the football game as long as the Lord wills it. This this Thursday, we're thinking about going up to Chicago as long as God wants us to. (laughs) That's not really what James is saying. He's not saying we should change our vocabulary and add that to every single sentence we say. What James is saying is we should live our life being very aware of the plan that God has for our lives and how safe we can be in that plan. You see, at the end of the day, what James is saying here is the key is trust. How much do we trust God with our future? How much do we trust God for our families? How much do we trust God for all that he will provide? How much do we trust this God who cares more for us than he does the birds of the field? And yet, as Jesus said, he he feeds the birds and clothes the birds. Because you see, the opposite of trust is worry. And when it comes to figuring out exactly what our future looked like, we have about as much hope as the guy who told us that this Wednesday we'd all be riding hoverboards. None of us really know what the future will be like. So instead of trying to figure it out and being fearful, let's trust in God. Let's not lean on our own understanding in all our ways, in our plans for the future. Let's acknowledge him and he will guide our paths. So as you can already tell, this morning is a little bit different here at Connect, and uh, to continue on in in how different it is, we kind of divided the the message this morning into three parts. So I've kind of talked about the the future this morning, and I'm going to come back up at the end and talk about the present, but I've asked Josh if he'll come now and address the past. So let's give it up for Josh.
1: I I couldn't stay in costume that long. My clothes are getting way too tight. Hey, um, you know, I was thinking about Back to the Future, and I also watched it. And as I was watching it, um, I had this kind of thought. Maybe you've thought about it before, too. Don't you wish that you could have your own personal DeLorean, that you could go back to a certain date and do things a little differently? Man, I know I would. A couple dates I wrote down, January 20th, 2006. September seventh, two 2007, those were the college years. (laughs) October seventeenth, two 2015, that's last night, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) You know, if we're honest with ourselves, I think that uh, when we look back at our lives, there are a couple different dates, uh, maybe by our own um, choices, that we wish that we could go back, that we could push those buttons, go to 88 and whatever miles an hour, go back to that moment and just like, Tackle yourself and don't do that. Don't do that. If you would not do that, it'll be so much different. But the truth is, as you know, we don't have our own personal DeLoreans. And the thing is, uh, oftentimes, those dates in our lives, let's just be real. Most of the time in our past, those decisions that we wish we could do over, they're our fault. You know, something that we chose to say in a relationship. Something that we chose to do with our money, that one night at the bar, that one day at the job, I don't know what it was for you, but we have to take some responsibility that in our past, there are moments that it's our fault. But as soon as I say that, I'm also sensitive to the fact that many of the dates in our lives that we wish we could go back to and do over weren't because of a choice that we made. It's something that happened in our lives something in our family, something in our friendship, something at work. There's something that's happened in our lives that we wish we could go back and do over for someone else, right? Their life would be so much better, different. Our family would be in a different place today. And as I think about our past, for me and maybe you, it gets a little bit heavy because the more you dwell on it, the more you look back of if I could just do that one thing different or say something It would all change but I don't think that that's what God wants for any of us to do with the past the past happened we're here in the present and there are some things that we can do but we can't have a personal DeLorean so what do we do with our past how do we handle those failures those dates those times that we wish could do different I wonder if God would have anything to say about what we could do to go back in time or what we could do differently now that could affect the future. So what do we do with our past? Well, again, to be real with you, oftentimes I wear my past like an ugly plaid shirt that Biff would have picked out. And as, as I walk around, it's something that I, I say, hey, people notice the guilt, the stuff that I, that I have going on. And, and I know that's not what God intends, but that's where I'm at. And I wear it on my sleeve sometimes. Maybe you hide it in a closet. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. Our past doesn't have to affect the present or the future. God doesn't want us to wear our guilt or our shame any longer. You know, recently I was reading the Bible, and I came across a few verses that there's, there's this little section called Philippians. And it's in the New Testament. It was written by a man named Paul. And Paul had tons of regrets, things that he wished he could erase from his past. But that didn't happen, and he moved past it. And I think that for every situation that we have in our lives, those things, those regrets that we wish we could do differently, God has something to say that could affect our present, and our future. And I want to read you just a few of those verses and kind of hit a couple of points before Dave comes back. But I need you to know this about Paul. Sometimes when we read the Bible and we kind of glaze over stuff, we, we glorify these people in the Bible acting like they never made any mistakes or sinned or did anything that would have ended up on that part of the newspaper that nobody wants to be in. This guy, Paul, was known for being way worse than Biff. He was the guy who went and persecuted Christians. He loved to put them in jail and even kill them. So when God got a hold of him and changed his life, and Jesus just really did some radical things in him, he still had a past. He still had skeletons in the closet. But his life changed, and he went from being a murderer of Christians to being the greatest missionary, in my opinion, in the entire world. But the hard part is that he still had a past, and so do we. But God has something to say for all of us, and this is what Paul says. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. And what he means by he hasn't achieved is he hasn't achieved perfection. Nobody ever will. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And as I read that verse, a couple things come to my mind. Kind of, if I could just have you remember one thing from this section, it would be this. It would be, give God permission to to use your past let me say that again give God permission to use your past because here's the thing he's not going to force you to reveal those things it's like I've had these conversations with Katie like what are we going to tell Will when he gets to be this age about this are we going to talk about it You know, I think of some of the stuff in my past and all of our past in in this way. I think of them as a little bit of scars that we wear, that we have around. And and normally a thought of a scar is is a bad thing, right? But here's what I think about scars. That God uses scars to strengthen us. and, And scars don't form on the dying. A scar means I survived, and a verse comes to mind from the same book in Philippians. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And maybe you've heard that verse a lot. And it's not saying that if you're five foot two, that you're gonna be the NBA dunk champion. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that I can get through anything with Christ because He's the one who gives us strength. There's a scar that's formed, and it means that we survived. We don't need to hide those scars. Point two, we need to encourage others with those. Don't hide your scars. Wear them as proof that God heals. God heals. I think about this verse, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things out for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. No scar in your life is wasted. It doesn't have to be. Another thing that I think about when when I talk about this, um, if I were to listen to what I'm saying, uh, I'm kind of a literal person. So, okay, don't hide it, Josh. You know what I would be tempted to do? Sometimes reveal it to people that shouldn't know it. Does that make sense? I would say, hey, I just want to tell you about my past. And then that person tells everybody. And then my reputation's ruined more than it already is. (laughs) But that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that maybe you get into a situation and someone reveals something to you and they say, hey, this is what I went through recently. And, and then you get this little nudge that says, hey, maybe you should tell them about how you went through that same thing. A couple times here at this very church, some of you have talked about some things that have gone on in your life. And, and then I said, hey, I went through that too. And you said something to the effect of, it feels good to not be the only one who's gone through that. Another thing that I think God can use our past for is that he can prepare us for the future. You know, the great theologian Rafiki from Lion King says this, The past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Those lessons that we learned when those really bad college years or high school or the first marriage or whatever the situation was, learn from it. God wants to prepare us for the future, for something greater than we could ever ask or imagine if we wouldn't run from our past. And here's the last thing I want to tell you before we get to the present. Someone said this to me, and it it really helped me a lot. Your past is a good period to learn from, but a terrible time to live in. And what that means to me is um, all those things that have happened to us or because of us, we can either be defined by them and live back in 1985 or whatever that time period is for you. Or we can come to the present and we can see how God can use that. Dave's going to come up now and talk to you about your present. Thanks.
0: Um, let's, let's bring it. We've been in the past. We've been in the future. Let's uh, finish off here this morning and bring it right back to the present. Because you see, the reality is that um, the present is where we all are right now. You know, the movie's all about time travel, and we spend a lot of time on movies and books and just this idea of the past and the future, but but we're here in the present. You know, it's funny, in the very first Back to the Future movie, it starts out by giving us this glimpse into the life of Marty McFly. If you've ever seen the movie, if you remember the scene, he's, he's at his table in his kitchen. It's, it's a pretty dire situation. His mom appears to be an alcoholic. His dad seems to be a loser. He's still being bullied by a grown-up Biff who shows up and is working with Marty's dad and saying, hey, where's my reports? Come on, McFly, come on. His siblings are living dead-end lives. And then at the end of the movie... Because of how he's changed the way his mum and dad eventually met at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, his new present at the end of the movie is very different. Now the movie ends in a different way. Mum and dad have just returned from playing tennis. They're very much in love with one another, showing signs of affection to one another. They're both living very successful lives. Dad's just published a book, and the siblings are successful. And to top it all, Biff now is outside waxing his car. Biff is now working for Marty's dad. It's a great ending to the movie, and and the audience leaves thinking, that's how I want my life to be. I want my life to to be all turned around and just to, to end like that. That would be great. You know, in the same way, I think God wants us to get the most out of life. I really do believe that God has a great plan for our lives. We actually talked about this last week. If you were here, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have, this, this full life. We talked about the, the word that Jesus uses There is a Greek word. It's zoe. It means life, but it's different. There are other times in the New Testament where the word life is the word bios, and that's just your regular kind of chronological life. But when he talked about zoe, that was a very different kind of life. That was an eternal life. That was a life full of everything that God has to offer. And Jesus wants us to live that kind of life. He doesn't want us just to kind of find our way through life. He wants life to flow through us and abundantly through us. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants for us now in the present. But what happens, and obviously with the, the movie being um, 30 years old and this week being the week that they travel to in the future, it was a great uh, theme to tie our message around. But the reality is there's a very strong spiritual message when it comes to the past, the future, and the present. Let me explain like this. There was an author by the name of C.S. Lewis. He was a British guy, lived back in the early 1900s. And um, he uh, had an amazing story of uh, how he as a very educated man, a professor at Oxford, had a relationship with Jesus and was a very deep thinker and, and wrote some great books. He wrote the Narnia books, if you're familiar with them. But he also wrote some very deep theological books, some books that kind of help us to understand more of what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. Well, one day he was sat in church, it was in in the early 1940s, and he says that while he was sat there in church, he was thinking about this idea that in all of time, the devil, the devil who's out to try and destroy the lives of mankind, destroy those that follow Jesus, he was thinking about the devil and what he does to try and mess with people's lives. He was thinking, you know what, over all of time, what he does hasn't really changed that much. Even though time has changed and, and technological advancements have been made, what he does hasn't really changed. He still uses those same kind of tricks and those same tactics to try and pull us away from God, to try and mess with and destroy our lives. And as he was thinking about that, he, he had this idea for um, what started out as a series of letters and then finally ended up to being a book. And these letters, he got in touch with a newspaper at the time called The Guardian. It was a mainstream newspaper in the UK. It would be comparable to like The New York Times or something like that. And they agreed to publish these letters. So he wrote one letter every week and they were called the Screwtape Letters. They later went on to become a book and it's a a very good book to read. It's the compilation of all those letters. But here was the idea that C.S. Lewis had behind these letters, the, the idea for the book. It was the idea that Screw Tape is this senior demon, and he's writing these letters to his nephew, whose name is is Wormwood. Now, obviously, this is a fictional book, and this is how C.S. Lewis imagines this conversation taking place. So Wormwood's responsibility was to, to watch over this individual. We don't know much about the individual, but we do know that Wormwood had been assigned to kind of mess with him and to try and pull him away from God and to distract him and So these correspondence that go backwards and forwards are between Screwtape and Wormwood. And Screwtape writes, and he gives all these ideas. And each letter that was published, each chapter of the book, is a different method, a different idea that C.S. Lewis had of how the devil can mess with people. Different plans that he's been using for centuries. It's the same old tricks, but just they still keep working. Well, in one of those letters that he writes, he talks about the idea of time. And here's, here's how he explains it. He says that, that mankind is, is governed by time. So because of this, the strategy of the devil is twofold. is to either dwell in regret over the past or to live in fear of the future. It doesn't matter which, as long as they're distracted from the present. That was the advice this, this demon gave to his nephew. He said, listen, I don't care what you do. Either keep him dwelling on the regrets of the past or keep him fearing the things of the future. It doesn't matter as long as you keep him out of the present because that's where he's most dangerous. That's where he'll experience the most that God has to offer. And this was the idea that C.S. Lewis had. The idea that the worst place for a follower of Christ to be is in the present Seeing God at work in his or her life every day. And in the midst of seeing him at work, glorifying him and celebrating God in every moment of every day. You know... Last uh, Tuesday, Tuesday of this week was um, Alicia who works with our kids in Connect Kids. It was her birthday on Tuesday. So last Sunday, the Connect Kids decided to celebrate her birthday and they got balloons and a gift and they sang happy birthday to her in both services. Well, what happened is in one of the services, one of the volunteers took a picture and they put it on Facebook. This was on Sunday. Sunday wasn't her birthday. Tuesday was her birthday. But what started to happen throughout the day on Sunday, I saw this time where people were like, hey, happy birthday, Alicia. I didn't realize it was your birthday. Happy birthday. And comment after comment after comment. And Alicia spoke to me about this on Monday. She said, it was getting kind of awkward because I wasn't sure if I should tell people today's not my birthday. So I just kind of left it. But then more and more people were commenting and saying, happy birthday. And finally, at the end of the day on Sunday, I had to say, hey, thanks everyone for the birthday wishes, but it's not actually my birthday till Tuesday. I mean, there are worse problems to have in life, aren't there, than to have your birthday celebrated on more than one day. I was thinking about it. That's that's pretty cool. It kind of started on Sunday, worked its way through Tuesday. Because that's what birthdays are, isn't it? Birthdays are a way of celebrating us. People give us cards and wish us well and get us gifts. It's kind of focusing that attention on us. And as nice as it is to do it one day a year, how nice for it to be kind of stretched out over two or three days. But, you know, that's what God is looking for from us. He's looking for us to turn our attention to him, to praise him, to worship him, to find him in every single moment of our days. Not just once a year on a birthday, Christmas, Easter, but to find him and to experience him every day of our lives in the present. God desires that kind of attention from us to be in the present, to be aware of his goodness in our lives, to be thankful and praising of every gift, no matter how small that he blesses us with. The sun, the rain, family, a roof over our heads, a job to go to, a school to study at, health to carry out the above. But I think this will only happen if we intentionally live in the the present. Not in the past and the regrets, not in the future and the fears, but here, now, in the present. Living life and life to the full and thanking Him for the life He's given us. You know, I always think that Justin's great at this. If you know Justin, he's, he leads worship here sometimes. He plays the guitar and, and he's just brilliant at doing this. Oftentimes during worship, he'll pause and, and he'll tell a story of just how he found God in the present that week. Maybe it was driving to church one morning, the sun was coming up. He'll talk about how he's driving here at six o'clock on a Sunday morning and the the sun's coming up and he just sees the brilliance and the greatness of God. Sometimes it's a story of an interaction with one of his kids during the week and at that point there's a tear shed and we're all sitting there thinking, oh, that's so beautiful. And we think, I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. But the truth is we all can. We can all have that kind of relationship with God. It's simply a case of finding God in our presence. You know, as I was studying for this message and preparing for this, I I did a lot of research of what it looks like to find God in the present, to find God in the here and now. And I I discovered that the group of people who really have figured this out are monks. I found myself taken to different websites and different articles that were talking about monks from, from way back in olden times, even to modern times. And how they're very disciplined with their times and and they'll shut out distractions and they'll just focus on God and they'll look for God in the present in all that they do. In fact, I came across a prayer that was written on the wall of a monastery that I want to read this morning. It goes as follows, I was regretting the past and fearing the future and suddenly God was speaking, my name is, I am. I waited and God continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and its fears, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it's not hard. I am here because my name is I am and i think that's the challenge i want to send you away this week and there'll be lots of back to the future references this week on the news and on facebook and i want those to keep pulling you back to saying god help me to find you in the present help me to look to the god who calls himself i am and recognize that god is right here right now with me in that moment when you find a great space at the grocery store right up near the front and you say thank you god but also in the moment when you find that you've chosen the slowest checkout line of all, God's there as well. In that moment when your child gives you that beautiful homemade card and you're just full with love and adoration, you're like, thank you, God, for this beautiful child. But in the moment when he or she also breaks your favorite ornament, yeah, God, thank you. You are still in this moment. You're in the moments when I receive good news and you're in the moments when I receive the bad news. You are in every single moment if I will choose to find you in the present. So that's my challenge for you this week in the busyness of your lives. As Josh said, how sometimes the past, we find ourselves looking over our shoulder, aware of regrets and mistakes and wishing we could go back in our own personal time machine and do something different. Maybe it's the economy or the current climate with job situations, and and it's a fear of the future looking ahead. And we can find ourselves caught up, and and like C.S. Lewis said, the, the trap of the enemy is it doesn't matter if it's regrets from the past or fear of the future, his job is to keep us out of the present, because in the present, we discover God's presence with us all the time. And not only do we discover it, but like, like a birthday that just keeps on going and going, we get to celebrate the presence and say, thank you, God, that you're with me right here, right now. Let's pray. Father, the truth is that our lives just continue to get busier and busier. And we can get more distracted and more distracted. And some nights, I'm sure, we we get home from work or we get home from school or we uh, get home as a family together. Maybe it's the weekend and we get to the end of the week and we just look back and think, where did it all go? How did that week go by so quickly? How did that day go by so quickly? And we can miss those moments in the present. So help us, Lord, to find those moments to slow down, to find those moments to take our eyes off uh, the busyness of our lives, To take our eyes off the fear of the unknown of the future. To take our eyes off the disappointment and the regret and the hurt that often comes with things of the past. And to fix our eyes in the present upon you. And to celebrate you. To say thank you God that you are who you say you are. That you are I am. And that we can experience you if we'll just take those moments to acknowledge that you're there and, and celebrate your presence with us. So be with us this week, I pray, Lord, and uh, help us uh, with excitement, look ahead to the future, to learn from the past, but to live in the present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.